What's going on, everybody? My name is Matt, and welcome back to the Altered Podcast. And as always, I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Daniel Hamilton. Daniel, what's going on, my friend? Hey, man, we're doing good. I can't really complain. I do want to say one thing really quick before we get started. I am super excited about this um, podcast. This is part two to the part one that we kind of started talking about prayer. And I, uh, there's just a lot of hype built up, uh, for me anyway, I can speak for myself, for this podcast. I'm just really excited to get into it. Oh, absolutely. And it's very possible that, uh, that I might get uh, emotional and because uh, this topic is very near and dear to, to my heart. But before we dive in, I want to, uh, to give a shout out to those who have listened thus far. Um, we've looked at our, uh, our analytics uh, kind of feel like a nerd even using that word, but um, analytics. Our, we looked at our analytics, and uh, <laughs> but no, we we were looking to see like kind of where people listen from, uh, and it kind of gives us an idea of like what states people are listening from and things like that. And man, there's a lot more people than we thought. We we kind of assumed to start out it was going to be people just local, but we have people in Columbia, we have people in Lexington, which is where we expected. We also have people in Louisville, where Daniel used to live, and Simpsonville, and Spartanburg, where I used to live. But we also have people in Oklahoma. We have people in Alabama, people in Kansas, people in Detroit, people in Belgium, people shout in Washington. Shout out Belgium. Yeah, shout out international. <laughs> We've went international already. Mr. World, Mr. Worldwide. Mr. Worldwide. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> uh, and then we have one in Washington, D.C., and man, just thank you guys so much for those who've been spreading the word. Um, I know some people have been sharing our posts and stuff, which speaking of our post, we have been going full swing with our, uh, our social media. We have an Instagram that we launched and, um, we, we started out by kind of posting who we are, uh, but we're also posting, you know, some inspirational stuff. But the thing that you're probably going to see the most, just because we like to have fun is memes. We love memes. Yes. And we've been sending each other meme ideas, and and man, it's it's been pretty good. And, and that may be patting myself on the back a little bit, but I think that what we've been throwing out has been uh, been pretty solid. And um, thank you for those who've been sharing those as well, because that helps us grow. Um, but if you don't follow the Instagram, we we keep it always in our description. Make sure to go check it out, and I think there'll be uh, something there for you to enjoy. But yeah, so without further ado, I think we've done enough um, praising ourselves for all of our good works, you know. <laughs> <laughs> weird flex, but okay. Yeah, weird flex. Um, but again, thank you guys so much for your support. And, and um, yeah, so let's dive into our discussion today. So I'm just going to read something I have uh, written down here to kind of start our, our discussion, and uh, and then we'll just dive in. So I want to take a step back from the theologically deep stuff and really only focus on one simple idea that I believe would change the church as a whole if grasped. That idea is beloved identity. This is something that has radically changed me for the better, or to even use the language of the podcast, it's altered me. Shout out, shout out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I would argue that there is nothing... Oh my gosh, Siri... Siri, Siri, just trying to she's trying to get noticed on our podcast here. Uh, that takeover spirit, bro. Yeah, yeah, she's trying. <laughs> she she wants to know that she's beloved. 
<laughs> All right. I'm going to go back to what I was reading. Um, I want to argue that there is nothing that will change your heart more than recognizing how jealous Yahweh is for you. And I want to let that kind of sit for a second. Because, I mean, have you as the listener ever been told that before? That, that Yahweh doesn't just love you, but he's jealous for you? And if so, have you ever like let that invade every space of your heart? Because if not, I hope today's discussion will uh, lead you into a place of childlike wonder and awe for an almighty God who longs for nothing more than just your attention. So, Daniel, let me ask you this question to kind of start our discussion. How many, this is going to be kind of a fun one, but how many bad messages have you heard growing up about how God is like waiting for you to change so that he can love you. Now, he, they may not say that explicitly, like do this and then God will love you, but where people essentially say if you do the right things, then God will lift you up to a higher place because of what you do. How many times have you heard that? And give some examples of maybe some things you've heard. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I've definitely... I've heard a few. Um, if I can think of one specifically... It would probably have to be. <laughs> my mind goes to a uh, lock-in, um, and I'm not going to mention names. I'm not going to mention, um, you know, churches. But I was at a lock-in that was not hosted by my own church, and it was definitely one of those like performance-based sermons. Um, and, and I can't remember exactly like um, like the specifics, but I remember leaving that thinking like, dude, like. I am a piece of crap. Like I, it was like like why would God like love me? Like it, it was like the worst possible f- feeling that I've ever felt leaving like a sermon. Um, and I was like at the age of thirteen, and like my it just kind of distorted or kind of threw me off track. Like have I like am I thinking about this all wrong? So I I've definitely experienced it. And as I've gotten older, I don't pay much mind to it as I yeah. used to. But there there's been a few sermons. I'm like oh my god, like it, am I doing this all wrong? Sure. Yeah, and I actually heard uh, this. Is, it's been quite a while since I've heard this. Luckily, like, and this is glory to God for this. I go to a church now where um, our pastor, which is my brother, so I, I am being a little bit biased here. But um, he is. Uh, that's like that. He always preaches against the whole performance based thing and always focusing on being who we are. But I did hear a message. Uh, I'd say about a year ago, um, and a pastor essentially had uh, he. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try to not be specific because I feel like it'll give it away. He had an illustration where essentially God puts you in a certain spot. I'm not gonna describe the spot that he gave an example for because that would give it away. But God puts you in a certain spot, and it's your responsibility to keep your spot at that location. And if you veer off in any direction on your own on your own merit with your own strength, then essentially you've lost your salvation. God has abandoned you and you're destined for hell all because you couldn't you couldn't keep up your side of the deal. And I remember listening to that and my heart really broke because you know at the time it was I was definitely kind of out of that but like hearing that message and hearing how many people are impacted by this idea and and I grew up with this kind of stuff where people were essentially say now that you're saved, make sure you do all this stuff or you're going to lose everything you had. And, and, and you know, I, I'm not going to insinuate any theological things from that statement. But um, 
you know, I heard that, and it's just like, man, we we have put so much of our chips in, especially in the West, on how much we do, and not enough on just who we simply are. And and it's almost to the point where we where people just feel like they're not even loved anymore by God. And we talked about this on the last um, the last part of this discussion, where we uh, where people just feel like God's a wrathful, angry, trying to strike you down God, and it's just been super super uh destructive in my opinion to the church so yeah so i mean i think that just to kind of touch on that i've definitely noticed in the past where it's like our our worth or our love it's uh from god it's dependent on what we do um and i think you know it it can be pretty harmful if we're not careful especially for people who are like newer Christians and who weren't raised in church and might not know, I don't want to say like, maybe like there, you know, when you're just, when you're new to the faith, like completely, and you know nothing about Christianity, um, there's just, there's years and years of tradition and, and what a Christian looks like. And if you, if you are getting hit with that at every single turn, um, and you're presented with this idea of like, well, man, you're messing up over and over and over. Um, only when when you get to this place is it really gonna? Are you really gonna have that love and acceptance? Uh, it it can be harmful for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's almost inescapable. I feel like in Western evangelicalism now to to hear things like if you do blank, then God will give you what you want, or if you if you have or become blank, then God will love you more. And and most of the time people kind of throw some language out there to 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 kind of cover up that. They'll they'll use words like just believe more or just make sure that you have enough faith and, and you know those things are great. But the problem is 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 when we put all of our effort into building up what people do but never tell people who they are, then then in my opinion, I think that People are going to live their whole... I lived most of my life feeling like I had to pray the sinner's prayer every single night because I felt like I wasn't doing it the right stuff. And I, like, I, you know, because I would always ask myself at night, if I died tonight in my sleep, would I go to hell because I, you know, I I, I cussed somebody out or I, or I did something when I was driving or, or whatever, like back when I was like in, you know, high school and, and stuff like that. And it's like, man, if that's how, if that's how God is and this is the kind of place i'm at now is like if that's how we're portraying god and if that's the god of the bible then i can see why people don't want anything to do with him sure i get it i get it because and and that's a lot of the the stuff that you know that atheists tend to bring up is they're like i don't understand why you guys follow this god who just always is trying to look for you to do the right things and, and and mess with your life and all this stuff and it's just simply because people don't know who they are um, and so I think the Bible, though, teaches the exact opposite, which is what's crazy. We talk all about works, but Jesus never once said, if you do blank, then you'll be accepted. Not once. The only people that he was telling, make sure you do the right things, were the people who were already claiming to follow God. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, all of them. And so I want to do this. Um, I have some scripture here, and I- I'm just going to read these back to back. 
and and then we'll give some thoughts on them. But I want you, there's there's so many, I could read pretty much the whole Bible to you and you would see how loved you are. But I want to read some of my favorite ones here. Um, there's about uh, one, two, three, four, five verses. And I just want you to listen to these and um, and let, honestly, I, this is going to sound super cheesy, but like let the Holy Spirit show you through hearing his word how loved and cherished you are to God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reading these. Uh, I'm going to start with Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's from Psalm 44. Know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 86:15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Psalm 139, 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Last one. John 3, 16 through 3, 17. For God so loved the world. We, we, we get the lullaby, lullaby effect with this verse. We've read this so many times that we forget how powerful this is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Daniel, what do, what do you think about when you hear these verses on, on his love? I hear a, a God that is passionate and adamant about showing his love and his approval for his kids, man. That's exactly what I hear. And, and it's crazy that, uh, how many verses was that? Like five or six? Uh, it's a little bit more if you count like the, I read quite a bit from one section. Or e- excerpts, I should say. Yeah, I mean, so there was like, six. So like six excerpts. I mean, that's just right to be six. And uh, hear what I just heard. I mean, that's extremely encouraging. If especially if you don't really know a whole lot about how God truly loves you or the magnitude of it. Absolutely, like God is so jealous for you, and and that that term and people that go to my church know that because I've been posting about this in our in our group chat. If you're at Dream Church, but I mean the whole that phrase that God is jealous for us has been rocking 
my world. Because if you think about what what when God talked about jealousy in the Bible, he was always talking about it in reference to them serving other gods. Do not yeah. serve any other gods, for I am a jealous God. Why is he saying that? Because he is after your attention. He doesn't want your attention on something else. Now, for most of us, like we we don't you know we don't have idols like that today in terms of like other gods. That's not something that we're really familiar with. But I I would challenge you with this: anything that is not like anything that you put in the place of God or above God is an idol. Is another yeah. quote unquote God. And here's here's something super convicting. This is what convicts me. For a lot of us, it's ambition. We want mm. we want to be great. We want to be the best that we can be. So we put our own building of personal greatness above lavishing in the greatness of Yahweh. And oh, wow. and that causes that that is just as bad as worshiping another god because you're putting yourself in the seat of God saying that, you know, God is great. But I'm trying to make sure I make it where I need to go first. And this is even true with people in I did this with ministry. I was yeah. trying to get a job in ministry, trying to work my way up the the ladder to get known within the church. And that actually became an idol. And that is actually what God has come after. That's why I believe God has been slamming the door in my face on so many things. Is simply out of jealousy. He sees the idol and he says, I'm not going to let you have that because I love you too much to let you to let you fall into that. So so here's something that may convict a lot of you. Many of you listen to this get so angry when God slams things in your face. You think to yourself, you know, this is everything I could have ever wanted or maybe you think this is the best thing for me to share the gospel with those around me, yet it still seems to fall apart. What if what if the only reason that those doors are shutting is because God is jealous for the gaze in your eyes? That God wants you too much to even let you spend your life working for him if it costs you your intimacy. Yeah, so I think as Christians, we really have to be honest with ourselves and recognize what are we serving. And I know for me, for the longest time, I, you know, I'm, I'm in ministry, but I am bivocational. And I always told myself that um, I, I, want to, I want to be serious about my, my secular job. I, I want to make sure that I, am, uh, I have a good job that I can support myself and my wife and our soon-to-be kid. I want to make sure that um, I'm just taking it very serious. And there were certain times where that turned into, I, I, just, I want to make this much money. I want to be this successful. And I would, not that I would put ministry like on the back burner, but I, I remember there was like a, a months where I was like, my focus was not ministry at all. And I was so consumed with like being successful outside of church um, that I had to like reel it back of like, Daniel, like, you know, this is, this is not who you are. This is not what God wants for you. God's called you to do something. And, and if we're all honest, we're, we're all called to do something. Yeah. And if what we're pursuing and, and what we are passionate about, uh, I think it, it'll line up to that because God knows who we are. He knows what we, what we want. But sometimes we can just be blinded by, and this might sound like a very, very vague way to say, but blinded by like our, our, our flesh desires of kind of like what the world gives us as like, well, this is what successful looks like, or this is what someone who's made it looks like. So I guess that's kind of my take on it. Dude, and I, I, 
I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little this is gonna make some people uncomfortable that aren't that don't come from the background that we come from. I'm gonna be a little prophetic here. Uh, maybe that word's not best for everybody else. I'm gonna be encouraging here. I'm I'm gonna speak something boldly here. That may be what's let's more comfortable. Yeah, let's <laughs> do it, man. I truly believe that the American dream that we know today cannot survive when it's at odds with intimacy. Because I think that we're at a crossroads now in the church, at the, the, whole, the church, big C church, the church as a whole, where we have to make a decision, and I think that decision has to be made quickly, that are we going to, to settle, I call it settling, you may not call it settling, but are we going to settle for ambition and working our way up the, the ladder in our culture, or are we willing to drop everything. I'm not saying that we have to stop doing what we're doing, but are we willing to set those things aside? If God showed up where you are now and said, I want all of your desires, are you willing to give those up for just him? Because that, that it's an important question because we hold on to all these things. And sometimes we hold on to our callings. We hold on to prophetic words that we've been given or, or whatever. And sometimes the Lord will show up and it seems like he's trying to take those things back. And I don't think that he's trying to take those things back so that you can't have them. I think he's trying to take those back because he can do with those things more than what you can do with them. And if you start to find your satisfaction and your identity in the prophetic word or in the calling or in the job, but not in him, that's where God's going to start coming after those idols. That's when he's going to start ripping those things away and slamming doors in your face is because he is jealous for your heart. So for those who, who you seem like everything you're hearing right now is no, I would, I would ask, it, what is God trying to do in that? Because I believe that God's all in that. Some people are like, oh, the devil's saying no to all this. He's causing all this stuff to fall apart. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for one second. I believe that God comes after anything that gets in the way of your gaze because he is so in love with you that he wants to be your satisfaction. And he's the only one who can. Some of us have been trying to fill that void with our jobs or with our career paths or our ambitions or our churches or, or whatever. And what God is wanting to do is fill that space. Because if he's not filling that space, you're always going to be longing for more. But if you have Jesus, then you're going to be satisfied yet more hungry. And, and, you know, one thing I heard, I listened to a message today by Damon Thompson. Um, Damon Thompson is one, one of my favorite speakers. And he said, the two most important theological truths that have to be at the top before anything else is even considered is God is good and you are his beloved. Everything else must submit to those two truths. And if anything is trying to compete for a higher spot, then that thing actually probably needs to go away. And so, and what I've noticed too, let me, I'm going to use our church as an example because there are so many people, like my brother, for example, he, he went up the ladder in terms of uh, worship leading, and I'll let him tell this story when he comes on here at some point, but he, I, he went up the ladder and he was leading worship at a church of eight plus thousand people, and the Lord told him to start a church, and he ended up saying yes not because it was the rational thing to do, because it's not. He said yes because he knew that's where God was and he was going to chase God. And now he is. our church has about 50 people. And some people would look at our church and say, 
man, that church is small and they're not, they don't really have it. But I have never seen people more passionate about just being in the presence of God than our church. And that is that, in my opinion, that is more church growth than growing 10,000 people that are just an inch deep. Because God is God is coming after our heart, and I believe, and this is what I meant by the prophetic thing, I think that if we don't make that decision quickly, we're going to find ourselves spending the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years living in religion, and we're going to be wondering why we're so bankrupt from his presence, and it's because we chose the lesser thing for the greater thing, and the greater thing is just him. Is, is God enough? Is his love enough? Is you being beloved enough? Or do you have to have more from God? Because I would argue that's an idol if that's the case. Yeah. And I think fundamentally, I mean, it just, it goes back to like, truly, do we believe who he is? I I think if we have the, the fundamental truth that he is who he says he is, and he is that good, right? Then our actions should reflect that. Yeah. Um, and not that we're always going to be perfect, because you know we might have struggles or we might have issues, but re- our heart should reflect that. And if we don't believe it, then like truly, I mean, we have to ask like, what's the point? Yes. Like, what's the point? If we don't believe it, then then why? Why are we? going to church why are we going through the motions like why why even put forth the effort if you if we truly don't believe that i mean matt you made mention of you know we're gonna go spiritually bankrupt if we're not careful absolutely i I would submit that we're already in a place like that because there's a lot of churches who fit into that religious um like spectrum where it's like we we're we're just checking the boxes and we are uh, focused on our performance and then they're scratching the head their head and they're confused like well and why are we not seeing souls saved yeah i believe that we start to see souls saved when the church is serious about jesus is the way the truth and the life period um i believe souls begin to get saved when people are are serious about who he is and who we are in christ um not i have never i have never been convicted about sin by someone telling me hey you're gonna die and go to hell absolutely i have i have never been convicted by uh, of sin by someone telling me hey you know uh, there's consequence. I love this one. There's consequences to your actions, Daniel. There's consequences to your sin. You gotta be careful. I have never been convicted. My parents tried that on me growing up, and it didn't work. But I'll tell you what really gets me going is um, I know that if I do sin, and this this is this is scripture. I mean, this is out of First uh, John chapter two. The truth of if I do sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That truth and that he loves you that much, that's what makes the difference. That's what makes the difference. And it all goes back to, uh, just to kind of go back to what we we were talking about, if we would... And it takes maturity and it takes trust. I, I know it does, but maybe if we would just have a change of perspective that when God says no, or when God says, uh, not can't do this instead of asking why 
he's doing that because I've been guilty. Uh, God sure, yeah. takes something away or changes something that I'm that kind of frustrates me. I'm dealing with it right now, actually. Um, and my my first response is God, why? Like why why are you doing this? Uh, but rather, if we would just ask the question of like, okay, so what are you trying to do now? Like, what's what's next? I think if we could just change that perspective, I think like our our faith will progress so much more, and you'll you'll start to see like that like the maturity in Christ yeah. grow like 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 you would never believe. And I would even take that a step further. So if I believe that if if you are truly the only place that you, the only way that you can approach the valley of the shadow of death and really go through that and with joy is if you are so convinced now, like for me, and this is the, the, the thing for me, because like for me, it's, um, I feel like I'm kind of at, and I, I, this is not to sound braggadocious, but like on the roller coaster of life, I'm kind of at the high point presently. Like everything seems to be going well, which I know, you know, things are inevitable at some point. Um, sure. But, at this point in my like at every point in our life if our satisfaction is rooted in God and his presence then when things come against us or when things happen in our life that are uncomfortable or God says no to so many things we we will go to God with those questions but in our spirit we'll still be like okay I'm I'm so confused I don't get it I don't know why God's doing this but I still have him and he is still enough because mm. that I mean that, and that's the whole thing, man. Is I feel like, in in especially in today's Christianity, it's all about God plus blank equals everything I need, and and that blank is whatever we want. We 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 feel like if we get what we want from God, then we're satisfied. But yeah. what what if God is the thing that our hearts truly want the most? That you some people don't even realize it because they've had this perspective that they're just not loved by God. But I'm telling you, God is so passionate about you that if you would just, and this is this is a bit metaphorical, but if you would stare at the fire in his eyes, then you'll never want to look away again because he He is the thing that can satisfy. I, I, I will preach this until my last breath in terms of, uh, I, this is something that has revolution, uh, has changed my life because I have been all about pursuing things for up until about, I'd say about four years ago, and once I re- recognized that God was wanting to meet with me more than I was wanting to meet with him, I I told God, I was like, God, I'll give up anything you want me to give now. Anything that will take me away from this, I don't want it, because yeah. he is everything I need. And and some people don't believe that, and, and I, this is one of those things where I'm like, just try it. You know, taste and see that the Lord is good, is what David says. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm tell and this is why I believe David is so passionate in the Psalms is because I believe that he like I mean think about what David did the Bible described him as laying under the uh the ta- the altar of the Lord like falling asleep under the altar he was so in love with God he was no I mean he was even known as the a man after God's own heart and he he was so in love with God that he would go and rest and lie his head down and sleep by the tabernacle of God. That's how much he loved God. And I feel like that's what we're being invited into, is he wants to meet with us so consistently that we would be willing, and and most of us who are listening to this may have been in that place before, where you've encountered his presence, and you may have said to yourself, I could do this forever, and I I don't want to leave this moment. 
And here's yeah. the beautiful thing. You don't have to. We, can, we, we get convinced that we have to leave this and go back to our life. But anything in your life that's taking you away from that needs to be let go. Anything. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's your job. I don't care if it's the thing you've been waiting for your entire life. If it sacrifices intimacy, it is not the one thing that God has for you. It's not it. And, and here's the thing, too. And I was always taught growing up, and this is probably going to conflict with a lot of um, especially charismatic theology. Oh, let's go. I've always been taught that we all have a calling on our life. And that calling was always some kind of career. It was like, uh, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be a preacher. I'm called to be an evangelist. I, I don't believe that anybody is called to anything other than his presence. I don't believe it. I, I believe with every fiber of my being that your one and only calling is to glorify God and to enjoy him daily. And everything else that happens, I believe that God, I mean, will God lead you to something like a pastoral ship and preaching? And all? Sure. But if that is your quote unquote calling, then you've settled for the lesser thing. Because mm. what he's calling you to is something so much deeper than just a, a temporary job that you're probably going to hate after 15 years. But if you get so satisfied with God, the one who is jealous for your attention, I promise you'll never want to go to anything else again. And you'll, you don't care. At that point, even if you feel like you're quote-unquote called to pastor a church of thousands, you would be okay working at a, a McDonald's if it means you get more of his presence because that's how satisfied you are in him. But people just aren't willing to do that anymore because they want the thing they don't want him. And that has been what is, in my opinion, we talk about how, uh, like, why is the church seem to be dying? That's why. I, I say yeah. that with 100% confidence. I, I have no doubt in my mind because people have been sacrificing him for the things. And it's been called, and the Bible did not say seek first the things and then God will be added unto you. It said seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. Because yeah. he is the thing that you need to be, that's, that's your calling. Seek him first, not seek the things because the things will come. I don't. I mean, for me, I'm at a place now. I used to be like, God, why do you have me at a warehouse? I want to be a pastor and preach and all this stuff. But I'm at a place now. I have encountered God more in my warehouse. That, uh, in my opinion, I'm at a place now where God would have to physically pick me up and take me somewhere else for me to give that up because I've encountered more of His presence in my warehouse than I have anywhere else. And that's not to sound cocky, but like I'm in my warehouse alone a lot. And so I, I'm always like, I'm, I'm able to worship God. I'm able to enjoy him and to listen to him. And some of my most impactful encounters have been in a warehouse. And I believe that that's why God brought me where I am now is because he wants me to chase after him, not chase after something. Because if I was at a pastoral ship, I'd be spending my day working on sermons, studying and all this stuff and all that stuff's great. And I believe that'll happen in its time. But right now, and this again, this is this is not just about me. This is about you guys too. But God is so jealous for for me and my heart that He's willing to put me in a place where that's all that I have, mm-hmm. because He just wants that much of my attention. And the same is true about everyone who's listening to this. That He may put you in a spot that you don't even like, and you don't even know why you're there, and you may even feel like right now the only thing you have left is God, and that's what God is saying. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted. Because if you can be satisfied in him, you don't need anything else. And there's just, there's so much freedom 
Absolutely. That. That's, that's, and, there, and there's so much peace that comes with that because I've been on a similar journey before too. And it wasn't, I, I can't tell you where I heard it at, but someone made the comment and, and it was a pastor, but I can't remember his name. He, he made the comment. He said, you know, before I am ever concerned about what I preach on Sunday morning, before I am concerned about what the service is going to look like, my one and only desire is God, I just want to be your child. Yes. That is, that's where my identity is rooted in. And I'll be honest with you, you know, I struggled with that. And just like you mentioned, it's, it's easy to be like, well, I want to be a pastor. I want to do this. I want to, I want to have, have a position like this. I want people to recognize me for like my gifts people to recognize me for like what I can do and, and how I can communicate with others and, and things like that. But if we will just buy in, if I can say that for lack of better words, just buy into the truth that just being a child should be fundamentally what our identity is before anything else, before all the fluff and the titles and things like that. If we can just be content with being a child and being loved by him, then everything else will fall into place. Um, and I am in 100% agreement with everything you've said, Matt, because it's, it's detrimental. Yes. And the thing is, we live in a, in a culture too, and I don't want to go on a tangent, but we live in a culture where it's very affirming. People love to affirm things, especially in the church. The church can yeah. be really bad about affirming certain things that is not biblical and things that are detrimental because it sounds good. Um, and if we're not careful, we, we can spend our entire life focusing on the, the wrong thing. And that's not what God has for us. Yeah. And let me, like, you know, we kind of roast, this is kind of going a bit more biblical here, but we kind of roast John in the book of John because he calls himself the one Jesus loved. <laughs> but let me tell you, and, and this is going to sound crazy. I believe that the reason that he did that is because he recognized how much God loved him. Yes. And he wasn't saying it in a way to be arrogant, in my opinion. I believe that he was so confident in who, what what was he, know, in my opinion, we, we, we look at all the things that, that he wrote and stuff. I believe the thing, if you were to meet with him right now and say, what was the moment that impacted your life? I believe that he would say, when I laid my head back on his chest. Mm-hmm. Because for him, he was so in love with Jesus, and Jesus was so in love with him. And, and this is, I mean, again, the same is true about all of us. This isn't just something like John isn't putting himself above everybody else. He's just convinced of who he is. And I think that we could say the same thing about ourselves. I am the one who Jesus loves. Daniel, you're the one who Jesus loves. Everyone listening to this, you're the one who Jesus loves. This is not something that's just specific to John. And if we can become that convinced of it, not in a way that's arrogant, because again, this is everybody. This is not, you don't have some kind of special, special love that nobody else has, but recognizing that the fullness of his love is available to you as much as it is to everybody else. And it is a well that never runs dry. It is an infinite expanse of love. Think about something that you've loved more than anything in your life. 
and multiply that by literally infinity, and that's his love for you. And it's just, we don't we don't think about this. Like I mentioned before, we get what's, I haven't mentioned this in the podcast yet, but there's something that Rabbi David Foreman calls the lullaby effect. We read these stories in the Bible, and we've read them so much that they become kind of like a lullaby that we've said over and over and over and over again, and it kind of loses its power because we've said it so much. Like, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I should not before I wake. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Or, or even, like, think about in the Christian world. We, there's a song that was written, um, and all of us have heard it. The, the song, How He Loves. And we, that song has been overdone by every church in America to the point where we don't even recognize how powerful those lyrics are. But if you go and listen to that and hearing what you've heard today, and I promise you, you'll want to listen to that song for the next week and you will weep because that's what I do now. But he is, he is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree. Like what? Yeah. Well, and let me just say this. It's funny you mentioned that um, because I was struggling with something a couple years ago and I had someone kind of speak over me during a service because they could just kind of see, see it on me during worship one day. And they were like, Daniel, you just, God loves you so much. And they were just speaking life over me. And uh, that song, I actually, I started to play it and I went and researched like the story behind the song. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I found the original version by John Mark McMillan. Mm-hmm. And I would play that on repeat for a solid month. Yes. Like to the point where my wife was like, Daniel, like, what is wrong with you? Why are you, why is, why is it, but like, it's, just that truth alone, um, it it's it's life changing, and I know it's a that's a very um, like that's not a, a, probably the best way to say it, but it, it's honestly, it is the most life changing truth that that is how good it really is, um, and I know it's overplayed, but if you can come to the realization that that is who God is then that those lyrics that song it it's just it absolutely hits different yeah i mean even the first line of like i don't even know if this is called the bridge or whatever and we are his portion and he is our prize yes like that that's our life and there's so um i have there's a song that and i'm gonna read a different song at the end but there's um a song called communion by maverick city it's one of my favorite songs but there's one line in that song that I have called my life lyric. And it simply says this. It says, this is where I'm meant to be. Me and you and you and me. I don't have to prove a thing because you've already approved of me. Wow. And I, I, I'm telling you, I, I, it's something that I have to repeat to myself daily because daily I find myself questioning that because of something that may happen or, or maybe I'm not feeling it. But this is like where I am now, where you are now, listener, is where you're meant to be. You and him and him and you. Me and him, me and you, you and me. Me and you, you and me. I don't have to prove a thing because he has already approved of me. That is a life-changing revelation that if you, if you believe that, I believe it would shake every other part of your life. You would rearrange your entire life to be convinced of that truth because that is is the truest thing you'll ever hear is that you don't have anything to prove because he has already approved of you. Yes. And no, so no, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And so I, man, it's, this this is something that like I, I'm going to, I want to close this out with reading a song. 
Um, and it's called Out of Hiding by Stephanie Gretzinger. This now is my favorite song. But I want before I read it, I want to kind of share my, my story behind why I'm reading this song. About two and a half years ago, um, I found myself uh, starting a journey of really growing in like theology and reading the Bible and things like that. And as the years progressed, I had kind of pushed intimacy to the side and focused more on pursuing ministry and and leadership and 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 theology and all that stuff. And I found myself two and a half years later, because uh, well, actually, let me preface it with this. But before that two and a half years, I had I had mentioned this in our last discussion. But Damon Thompson did a a uh, sermon called "The Father's Robe." And how he talked about beloved identity and how that had impacted me so strong when he did that message. Um, about two and a half years after that happened, I found myself feeling spiritually bankrupt. And I remember I was on my way to work and I was praying. I was like, God, and this was my prayer. And this is, it's, it hurts me to even say this, but this is, and this is where my, maybe a lot of you are. My prayer is, Lord, help me to want to want you more. Give me a desire to even pursue you anymore because I have no desire to even pursue you anymore. And saying that now, it just it breaks my heart because that's how low I had gotten. And on my way to work, I started listening to the audio Bible. And, and the verse that come up uh, it was in Numbers. And essentially what it was talking about is how Israel had, and this was so timely. This was not even planned. I, didn't, I just pressed play on my Bible app. And it was talking about how Israel had started hungering for the meat of Egypt again, and they grew tired of the manna that God was giving them every day. And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, again, this may be too mystical for some listeners, but you know, this is my story. Um, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me in that moment that I had been hungering for the meat of Egypt again. And Egypt for me is, is simply ambition for trying to pursue and get my name out there. And I had grown tired of the manna of God uh, and then he followed that up by simply saying, but it's going to be restored today. And I was like, okay, great word. You know, it's probably my emotions, whatever. <laughs> I get to work and I'm stocking shelves and I press shuffle on my eye, uh, on my Spotify. And this song out of hiding comes up and I'm going to read the lyrics here in a second. But as I was listening to this song, it, the Holy Spirit I encountered God so strong in that place, I had to stop what I was doing. I went to the restroom, locked the door, and I just began to weep. And, and at the end of that song, it talks, it's essentially a song about the prodigal son. Um, and we talked about this in the last discussion. But at the end of the song, as clear as you're hearing my voice right now, I felt God say, you're home now. And I had convinced myself at that moment, I promised God and promised myself that I would never sell that for anything else ever again. Because the intimacy that I've experienced then and since then is better than anything that I could ever get in terms of a job, in terms of what I can get, you know, um, ministry wise. The, you could get, you could offer me the biggest platform on earth, and, but if the Holy Spirit is not there, and if intimacy is what I have to sacrifice to get there, thanks but no thanks. Because I would rather be hidden away for the rest of my life if it means I get him than be in the biggest spotlight you can imagine and not have him. And so let me read these lyrics and and we'll actually we'll actually close with this. We won't even, you know, 
obviously you can check out if all the resources that we have below, but I want to close with, by reading this. Is there anything you want to say, Daniel, before I, I read these um, lyrics? I, I want to kind of like end it with this and, um, no, I mean, I think it's perfect. Let's go ahead and get this thing closed. Okay, cool. All right. So listen, I, I, this may be a little weird for some people, but like I, I challenge you wherever you are. I know some of you might be working out or whatever, and you may not be able to do this, but if you're able to take a moment and just simply listen, then really, really allow yourself to, to listen to the father's heart here. This song is a song coming from, it's, the song's called Out of Hiding, but in parentheses, it says the father's song. It's a song that essentially the father is singing to you. So listen to these lyrics. Come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. There's no need to cover what I already see. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown, and I hold the key. Because I loved you before, you knew it was love. I saw it all, still I chose the cross. You were the one that I was thinking of when I rose from the grave. Now rid of your shackles, my victory is yours. I tore the veil for you to come close. There's no reason to stand at a distance anymore. You're not far from home. The next verse says, I'll be your lighthouse when you're lost at sea. I will illuminate everything. No need to be frightened by intimacy. No, just throw off your fear and come running to me. And then it says, I'm going to read the chorus again. Because I loved you before, you knew it was love. I saw it all, still I chose the cross. You were the one that I was thinking of when I rose from the grave. Now rid of the shackles, my victory is yours. I tore the veil for you to come close. There is no reason to stand at a distance anymore. You're not far from home. And the song uh, ends with these two stanzas. Oh, as you run, what hindered love will only become part of your story. You're almost home now. Please don't quit now. You're almost home to me.